looking at uh, our second part, at showing God's favor towards others, uh, part two. This is part two. Uh, last week, if you guys remember, we looked at roof two, and, part, and we were looking at Boaz, the example of Boaz, and how we saw last time two ways he showed God's favor to others, okay? Uh, two ways. Originally, I was going to make this three-part, then I realized, you know what? Um, just like last week, I think there's a lot that I want to speak to us as a church, okay? Uh, actually, just meeting with some of you guys during this week, uh, I know some of the feedback was uh, the discussion about last week, I think, uh, ministered to some uh, of those in the church, okay? So last week, what we looked at was uh, showing God's favor. We looked at the example of Boaz. Showing God's favor, we saw last time, means providing for the needy, right? Providing for those that are needy. And we also saw last time, showing God's favor also means greeting others, okay? And even this week when I met with some of you guys, uh, with pastoral visitation, some of you guys said, yeah, you know, that is an area that we could work on as a church, or I myself need, could work on, okay? So in light of this, I thought that was just fill the Spirit, just led with the moment, one of those moments of unction, where it's like, okay, we just need to look at two points. Likewise, today we're going to be looking at two points. We're going to pick this up as, what does it mean, uh, showing God's favor, okay? If you guys remember, last time we looked at Ruth 2.2. 2. Uh, Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, these are two widows, saying, hey, I need to go to the field, and hopefully, maybe someone will show favor. And the word favor, we mentioned last time, is loving kindness. This Hebrew word, kesed, okay? Uh, kesed. Some of your version, uh, if you read it, it looks like an H, okay? It's one of those weird Hebrew-sounding words, okay? Uh, but loving kindness uh, is kesed. And we said that word is very rich, that the uh, Bible often talks about God's loving kindness, okay? We often talk about lo- lo- God's loving kindness. But the way God shows loving kindness often is through what? The agency of other human beings, okay? Through us as a church, through you guys as believers, even outside the church, evangelistically, also in this world. So today we're going to pick up part two, showing God's favor towards others. What does this look like? Is we're going to see two more, two further ways Boaz uh, displayed God's favor to others, so that likewise we would show God's favor towards others, okay? If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, this is point number one. Point number one is this, showing God favor to others by protecting others, okay? If you're taking notes, show God's favor to others by protecting others. This is going to look at verses 8 to 9. Verse 8 to 9 was also the same passage we've looked at last week of providing for the needy. But if you pay attention to some of the key words here, it establishes the, uh, uh, another way of showing God's favor towards others is by protecting others. This is found in verses what again? Uh, you guys taking notes? Found in verses 8 and what? Nine, okay? So what's the f- first point for today? Okay. You guys all weak? Showing God's... Oh, Anthony, big boy voice, go ahead. Showing God's favor to others by protecting others. Yes, by protecting others, okay? This is found in verses 8 and 9, okay? So that's point number one, showing God's favor to others by protecting others in verses 8 and 9. Then point number two, point number two is this, is show God's favor to others by encouraging others, Okay? By encouraging others. This is found in verses 10 through what? 12, okay? So show God's favor to others by encouraging others, okay? Uh, let me ask you guys this point. Maybe to apply, to make this, uh, so that we will be able to pay attention for this morning, is ask yourself this question. How would, if others were to look at your life, which one would you say you struggle with the most? The idea of protecting others or the idea of encouraging others, okay? Which one would you guys, uh, uh, God... You would say, generally, you need to work on, or maybe it's both, okay? 
Maybe it's both, okay? So we're going to be looking at this, and actually today I think I'm going to be really uh, focused a lot on the second point about encouraging others, okay? Encouraging others, because that's just one of my heartbeats, uh, one of my prayers for this church, and one of the things that uh, I hope to be devoted in doing, okay? But first part, let's look at this, okay? Show God's favor to others by what? Protecting others, okay? By protecting others. Let's look again at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 to 9 says this, When Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully to uh, my daughter. Do not glean in, your, in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Okay? So here in this verse, uh, when we look here uh, in this verse, I want to first look at the end in verses 9. I think it helped explain everything. He says, Indeed, I have commanded the service not to touch you. Do you remember two weeks ago, we have looked at the beginning of Ruth, and I made a point that what the leading servant in the field, the supervisor of Boaz, this is Boaz's field. He's a great man, as he's described in verses 1, and he's a wealthy man. So apparently he owns different fields. And he went to this one part of the field, and he asked his servants, Hey, who is this? Remember, he didn't just ask who's this woman. He asked her what? Who does she belong to? Like you might say, oh, that's patriarchal. No, he's actually asking who's her protector. Because I think he saw that she was in a very compromising situation. Where was she located in the field? You guys remember a few weeks ago? She was inside a a building, right? Or or some kind of house or something like that. Now, and I asked the question last time. uh, Would a single woman randomly go to a guy's room or house? If you're to a stranger, would you guys? All the women, ladies, if I could ask, would you guys shake your head? Yes or no, right? Because that's pretty scary, okay? That's pretty scary. So then he asked the servant, who is she, does she belong to? Do you remember what was his answer? Did it make sense what he was saying? Remember the whole thing we looked at? Is that If we don't pay attention, you might totally miss this. Uh, when we looked at earlier in verses uh, 7, where he just says, oh, you know what? She's been standing all day, but now she's uh, taking a rest. It's like, wait, does that make sense? She has been out all day, or she's taking a rest. So remember last time, where we made the point that this man probably wanted to take advantage of her. Okay? This man wanted to take advantage of her because she was in a dire situation. She might be a younger widow. And then we point out, in light of this, Boaz now has the imperative that he's going to be protecting what? Others, okay? And the way he protects her is in light of verse 9. We begin with the end first of verse 9, where he says, I've commanded the servants not to touch you okay he's telling her like hey stay in my field now i need to glean the field to provide for the needy that's what he did last time we saw but it also is what in the same breath he also says what hey i've commanded my servant not to what touch you okay not to touch you. and the way touching here is not talking about oh you accidentally work in the field you brush your hand against her but is this is actually a euphemism okay this is a euphemism of referring to striking somebody okay in other words of assault okay Say assault. Assault. Okay, good. You guys are awake. Okay, good. I I like that motivated voice right there, okay? Sounds like a Marine ready to assault like a hill or something. Okay, so you see here, but also as well, there's also in the windows of even sexual assault with this word, okay? So this is a euphemism, okay, of even sexual assault. Put your pinky or thumb or bookmark or paper in Ruth chapter 2, because we're turning back to it, and turn with me real quick to Proverbs 6.29. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 29. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29.
Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29, okay? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29, okay? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29. When we turn to Proverbs 6, verse 29, could I have somebody read that out loud? Um, so, is one, so is one, so is one of the Okay, so in this verse, uh, in Proverbs 6, it's in the context, it's talking about adultery, okay, sexual morality, okay, and it's saying that if someone were to pursue uh, another woman's, uh, another man's uh, wife, what happened? Would the Lord discipline? Yeah, and whoever touches, and again, let me say this, this is not like you're sitting there eating, I don't know, at Applebee's, and then the waiter gives you the food, and all of a sudden you accidentally touch it. This is a euphemism for what? For saying sexual activity, okay? Uh, uh, of that sort. So knowing this term, and by the way, this, this is the same way it's used also in Genesis 20, verse 6, but we're not going to turn there. But do turn back with me to Ruth 2. I just want to look at this to show that when he says, I, in front of her and in front of all these people, he says, hey, I've commanded my men not to touch you. He's not just saying, oh, not touching. This is a euphemism for what? Abuse and assault often used at the time and also specifically sexual abuse, okay? Now we need to talk about this, Okay. We do need to talk about this because here is a man that's willing to protect what? Others, okay? Let's go on also. Turn back with me in Ruth chapter 2. Look with me in verses 8. Verses 8. Do you remember earlier? I think uh, verses 9 is very clear. His motivation for everything he tells her in verses 8 and 9. Now, it begins vaguely and then he becomes crystal clear why he tells her to do certain things, okay? It's not because he's a meanie, he's mean or he's being patriarchal. He's actually trying to protect her as we saw established in the end of verse 9. So in line of this, then explains the more vague verse of vague commands and prohibition. Look back with me again. Do not glean in another field. Now that we see clearly, now we understand why he doesn't want her to go in another field is what? If she goes away, would there be other men in another field that might take advantage of her? The possibility is very what? High. Okay? This isn't a time and age where people, like I said earlier, is being taken advantage what? In all kinds of heinous ways. Do you remember what we talked about in Judges 21? Where what happened to uh, the, the concubine that's married to a man from Bethlehem? Which, by the way, should be triggered because Ruth is a story about a man and a woman in what? Bethlehem. Okay? You remember what happened in that story? She basically got taken advantage by a whole group of men. And the husband didn't even protect her. Now do you see here the juxtaposition, the contrast, is there is now a man who is Boaz. He's not married to her. And in that other story, the man that's married to her wouldn't even protect her, even though it's his godly duty to protect his wife. And now here's a man who's willing to even protect that of a stranger, okay? <clears throat> willing to protect that of a stranger, of someone that he does not even know. He's taking advantage and saying, don't go to another field. And then in verses 8, he also says further, do not go from this one, okay? Stated the same, it's redundant for emphasis. Again, it's really for her protection. Look with me also as well in verses 8. He also tells her what? Stay with my what? Maids, okay? Safety in what? Numbers, Okay? Safety and numbers. This is not a woman that's traveling alone, okay? But he's saying, hey, stay, you see in this example, okay? That he's conscious of her. He's protecting her. But he's also saying, okay, while you're in this field, stay with what? Another woman, okay? Group in numbers of other women. And these maids are very likely the ones that after uh, the lighter works in the field, these women would be what? Doing this, okay? 
So he puts this, and by the way, the word stay that he uses is also the same one that he uses in Ruth 114. Ruth 114, where earlier it was, uh, where earlier Ruth expressed her loyalty to Naomi. Okay, so then there's a beautiful play on words. Okay, here is she's willing to stay with her mother-in-law, who's old, who needs help in a day and age before Social Security. An older widow very likely is a death sentence with no man to work the field and to provide for her. So here is her faithfulness by showing, say, I will stay with you. Now Boaz is using. Maybe he doesn't know the words, but in God's sovereignty, listen, in light of God's providence. There is no, nothing in this world that's left to chance. And in God's sovereignty, now he uses the same words that has, she has used to bless her mother-in-law, using the same words, say, hey, stay with my what? Maids here, okay? So as application, do we have a responsibility to protect others? Yes. Yes, yes okay? I want to talk about applications here, okay? And by the way, I want to talk about things that we need to talk about. And one of the reasons why I love the book of Ruth is really, t- it's this story when you read, there's no miracles, there's providence, God working behind the scene. But it's a story like you read about, that's like everyday life. Our relations with difficult people, difficult in-laws, or difficult outlaws for some of us, right? So all of these things, we need to say, hey, how do we relate to difficult people? How do we relate to strangers? How do we relate to people we don't know? How do we relate to non-believers? Here, or, or even people that are young believers, here we see this. And in this, we need to talk about this, that we have an obligation to protect others. Raise your right hand and say, I have a duty. I have a duty. To protect others. Okay, put your hands down. This is not the Marine Corps, right? You swear and sign the dotted line up to life, right? For four years or whatever years you sign up. So here we see here, we all of us as an obligation, just like Boaz, okay? So my question as application is this. Do you desire to protect others? Do you desire to protect others? By the way, do you desire to protect others physically and what? Spiritually, okay? I don't mean just only physically, okay? So this is not a sermon just for guys, rah, rah, okay? But this is for all of us. We have a duty to always protect who? Others, okay? We have a duty to protect others. But I think I want to begin first with protecting spiritually. In this world, I think sometimes we forget there's a spiritual war going on. Say this after me. There is a spiritual war. Some of us just want to have a life, a dream where we can retire and have vacation in the Bahamas all day. All, all, all along, right? Nothing wrong with that. But I think one thing we must never forget is that we live in a time of spiritual war, okay? Yes. Now is not the time to collect seashells and say, hey God, look, I pick up seashells for the glory of God, okay? Listen, right now in our world, there is spiritual warfare. Now it's spiritual, it's not physical. You don't dress up as a crusader, wear your, I don't know, your white hood and go out and like hurt people. That's weird. That's unbiblical. But I also want to say there is a real spiritual warfare, but that means that we protect others. How? How does Satan often attack? By putting seeds of doubt and what else? By also attacking the faith, yes? Okay? So protecting others sometimes involve what? Apologetics, okay? The best way to learn apologetics, I think, is because you love others. Not because... There's two ways to like to study apologetics. One is yourself, you're sinful. You just like to argue. Some people like to argue, yes? Raise your hand if you know people that like to argue. I do, because I know my own sinful nature, okay? But the best way to learn apologetics, I think back of defending my faith, was when my sisters, when I was very young, my sisters would have all kinds of faith uh, questions, right? Julie and Jeannie would always ask me what? How do we know, right? They would say, okay, uh, I know the Christian faith is true because of A, B, and C. Three reasons, haha. Then my sisters would say, how do we know A, B, and C is true? Well, because of D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. How do we know D, E, F, G, A, K, L, M, N, O, P is true? Uh, okay, and then you go on. So all of this to say that actually made me pressure me to, in a good way, to say, hey, how do we need to know? 
how do we need to know, okay? Now, we don't want to go to infinite regress, the ultimate presupposition, which leads me to presuppositional apologetics. But I want to say that part of it is the desire to be able to what? To minister and to protect others, okay? So also protecting others is sometimes mean that, hey, people hold unbiblical beliefs. People sometimes share unbiblical things that sound spiritually good, but it's not true. Today, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is a spiritual minefield, okay? Say spiritual, spiritual. minefield. You go on Facebook and people say, share some quote that sounds so good. But when you take a step back and think about, hey, that's really unbiblical, right? That's very unbiblical. Yet for, I'll give an example. You ever hear people say, like, I forgive others, not because they're worthy of forgiveness, but because I deserve to be, you know, to let go? Now, at first it's like, yeah, that sounds really nice if you forgive others. But let me ask you guys a question. Is the ultimate reason why you forgive others is just so that it's therapeutic, so you feel nice inside and fuzzy? Warm and fuzzy. Is that the ultimate greatest reason, motivation? Okay. The greatest motivation is because of Christ. Okay. Uh, not because you're even worthy. Also, we're so sinful. But I, I'm trying to say is this. There's a secondary truth. Yes. If you don't forgive, there's unintended consequences, right? You will be miserable. You'll be bitter. It'll eat you up alive first before the other person even eats them alive. But I want to bring it up to say that the ultimate motivation is because of Christ. Otherwise, if you don't, you'll never be able to forgive. If you're the ultimate reason why you forgive, that's also the same ultimate reason why people don't forgive. Does that make sense? So we, we need to be protecting of others, okay? And that means sometimes calling out people for having unbiblical beliefs also as well. And also things that they're reading or sharing. But also, I think also as well, if we start with faithful little, faithful much, right? If we're unable to protect others in loving them in that way, what makes you think you protect them in other ways? Now also, we see in the context, of course, it's talked about protecting people what? Physically, yes? yes? Physical protection. And I do want to talk about this. I want to talk about the application for us in two ways, in, in, physical, uh, in terms of physical protection. And I'm going to go areas that might be uncomfortable. We need to talk about this in a day and age of Me Too. Hashtag Me Too. You know what I'm talking about? In a day and age where sexual abuse happens, okay? Let me say this real quick. One of the things I've been very surprised in ministry, there's many things. Seminary can't prepare everyone with anything. One of the things I've been very surprised in ministry is just how many people that I would encounter and minister that have been abused. I don't mean like their daddy yells at them and spanks them. Like, I'm not talking about that. Okay, and then you call it abuse. I'm talking about real crazy abuse. I'm talking about even also as well what? Of even physical sexual abuse. Okay. Of physical sexual abuse. There was an article I read a few years ago that predators love churches. You know why? Why would predators like going to churches and prey on people? Why do you think that's so? That's me. That's honest talk here, okay? Yeah. Christians are very loving and sometimes our guard are down because we like others. We feel bad and other people feel bad. And we tend to be more trusting, yes? Okay? The other thing, a uh, more logistical thing, is there's kids, right? right? Church is usually generational, you know, with things, and then they go with that, okay? And, and Christians are more trusting. Are Christians generally called to be forgiving too? Yeah, yeah. okay? I know right now there's a lot of talk about Joshua Harris losing his faith. One of the sad part that I think that's sad is people are now more talking about him recanting at first. Everything he taught about biblical relationship stuff, Right? People say, oh, look, he, you know, he recanted like, his dating goodbye like a few, two years ago he started. And I was just thinking back then, like, why do people get so much energized? Where, you know, his first scandal was that not that. You know what was his first scandal? That for whatever reason, within the churches, 
there's less discussion among Christians. I'm surprised how many of you guys have talked to me about Joshua Harris leaving the faith or recanting, say, oh, everything is unbiblical. So does that mean what Jim what you've been teaching is all biblical? I say yes to the T, because I believe it's the word of God, okay? But you know what's his first scandal? Most people don't know, because it was little, little received. His first scandal was actually in his church. Kids were being what? Sexually abused. And he did not handle that well. In fact, some of the pastors in Sovereign Grace was telling to minors that are under 18 to say, no, you still got to go to church and forgive those that abuse you. And those same people that abuse them continue to teach what? Sunday schools. And teach youth group. Let me say this real quick. Let me just make this very clear. If you come to our church and you abuse a minor, I don't care how buddy-buddy I am with you, we're giving you to the law first, okay? Can I make this very clear first? Because there's creepos and weirdos and all kinds of wackos, but I want to make it very clear. We have to do things right. We have an obligation to protect others, okay? We have an obligation to protect others, okay? So I want to also say, even with those that are minor, okay, if you have been hurt by someone in the church, you do need to let me know in this way, okay? You do need to let me know in the church, and I don't care who that person is. I don't care how high, we have to do what is right. Does that make sense? We have to do what is right for the sake of protecting others. Because this is a biblical thing, and there's a world that's watching. And there's people that are affected that say, I don't want to do anything with Christianity. I don't think people have good explanation for rejecting Christianity. But if there's one that is emotional for me, of like I say, I could kind of sympathize, it's when people in the church do this, and the church enables the problem. Okay, So this is one way we have to protect others. And I think as application, this is where I want to drive the point, not with agenda. I think it's important that our youth, our kids, eventually not have to be in that building in the other side where there's a dead space, where there's no pa- two pastors cannot oversee. But eventually we need to move this here in the same building where we could oversee uh, just to practice this in terms of, of safety. Again, we need to be active and think about these things, okay? You might say, oh, this is just distance as other churches. But have you ever gone to Megan's Law? Have you guys know what Megan's Law in California is? Look up the list of people that have to register as sexual offenders. Right, they have to register the location. And by the way, that's not an accurate representation. Some have also disappeared, and that was their last location. But if you ever look at those things, right? There's certain laws that have to be a certain distance away from school. But if you ever look at those things, go open it up and look at PCC. Look at some elementary school near you, and you'll be frightened. Look at around at your house near, nearby, and you'll be surprised, wow, this crime... There's a lot among us more likely than you realize. So in terms of application, we have a duty to protect those in the church, okay? We do have a duty, and that is why even though it's kids, we make a standard to make a point that we need to lift up the bar. And we've had some, but we also need to lift up the bar. This is something that we have as a leadership have to do, to lift the bar of who it is that's teaching and is involved with kids. Does that make sense? We need to have this. Uh, in, the, in the past, there's some people that have been very concerned with how they look at our kids, and I think we have an obligation to say, hey, with those guys, I'm going to be even extra friendly with them to protect the saints and also to keep an eye out on them. Okay? No, no one here now, please don't look around at each other, okay? Uh, okay? Yeah. You know, no one here has ever had me shake their hand and say, hey, take your carcass outside of our church. Okay? Have I said that before? Yeah. Okay? Andrew and I have walked out somebody that was a predator at one point here before he came and all he was looking for is that and I shook his hand I took him outside and told him please bring your car take your carcass outside our church you know 
So no one ever had that speech given for me, so this doesn't apply to you guys. But I'm just saying this here, right? Hey, I'm not playing in this area. We have a duty to protect others. But it starts being small. It starts being courteous towards others. Brothers, as application, do you walk your sisters after church? Do you walk sisters to their cars, right? Let's be honest here. What's this area code? What's the zip code? 91732. We live in Elmani, okay? Is there some rough areas? Yeah, okay. When I was a kid, I used to live nearby. Just if you go a little further down, uh, what do you call those? Uh, what's that place called again? What's the street? Help me out, Hector. Uh, huh? Yeah, Kingerman, the projects, okay? Literally, we live right there in the projects. So maybe I'll blow it on Facebook. We're outside my dad. I don't even know how my mom and dad was able to do this back then. We were just so poor. They'll tell me to throw out the trash. I remember just seeing this guy just, just like shot up with, I don't know, heroin, whatever else. And then I just ran after I throw out trash and later hear the ambulance there, okay? I bring this to say is this, okay? This is a rough neighborhood at times, okay? There's been times at Good Time Learning, I've been trying to ask some kids, teach Good Time Learning, could you come to our church? And they say no, because I just saw in the local news that our school had a crazy uh, uh, truck ran into our school at night because your 7-Eleven near your church got robbed and they took the van that whatever fills, you know, s- uh, supplies of thing and drove over there. Now at times we walk over. Now I know there's been a sister one time in our church they came to visit was interested in one of our brothers and I offered to walk her and she's like oh, I don't like your patriarchy like you guys are super conservative so no I'm just walking and as soon as we walked out just someone kept on right away a little bit weird asking hey let me get your number and everything else so walked her to a car and I always walk with another brother I don't walk alone and then the other person just said oh the sister said okay I'm glad now you kind of walk us over there okay but brothers do you walk okay do you walk with another sister to their car and, and this is not just knight in shining armor. You do this to all sisters. Not only if you have an agenda, you like them. You do this with all, to all brothers, to be brotherly, okay? And by the way, the way I normally walk my kids is what? Uh, my kids are, and my wife is away from the street, okay? Now I used to do this because Pastor Andrew used to tell me to do this, okay? And I went to Calvary Chapel back then when I was courting Nancy, and then the pastor says to do this. And then I remember there was a point, I remember one time working in security guard, and saying, yeah, is this just more like... More like just doing it, or is this really safety? And then one day when I was walking, walking the, uh, um, the theater's manager to her uh, car, one night some crazy guy drove, was mad, and then all of a sudden, boom, I was like, whoa. It was, I actually had my hand on the hood. It's like, whoa. And the person you think was sorry? No, the person was mad that I was blocking his pathway to his parking lot, and he was late to some club or some party thing at like one in the morning, okay? I bring this to say is this, this is what we do. But by the way, this is training. And by the way, can I say this? We live in a day and age there's a lot of shooting, yes? yes? There's a lot of shooting. Sometimes we think, oh, no, it's over there and all that. You guys remember, some of you guys know, there's a, someone that used to visit our church on Tuesday Bible study. Not everyone you guys know. You guys remember? He worked at a, per, a certain Trader Joe's. Mm. That a year ago, what happened? He was shot. Yeah. It was shot and he was held hostage. Do you guys remember that? At Silver Lake, okay? And it was a pretty traumatic experience. I know he didn't really want to talk about it, but... I just want to say that, you know, like, we live in a day and age where all these kind of crazy, wacko things happen. And by, by the way, God calls us. Even my wife quoted a few weeks ago from First John. We are called to protect one another, even to the point of loving the brethren in the church, of giving up our life. But, by the way, physically active heroism don't happen if you don't, what? If you're not faithful a little, you're not faithful in what? Much, okay? Uh, so in the same way, I think it occurs us to say that we need to think about these things, okay? By the way, I, I'm under no pretense of bravo, even a lot of times with illustration. Um, I know I often make story, tell stories of honesty of my fear, because I actually think even the Marines, the guys that are real, 
are always talking about their fear, okay? And I've also seen even and known stories of guys that I've served with that one moment could be so heroic. One guy I know saved someone's life and earned the second highest medal, okay? He was a scout sniper in Jin in our unit. And then sometimes some guys, the next moment, they could be heroic, save four guys' life, and the very next second be what? Definitely afraid and can't do the next thing that's even less dangerous. I bring this to say that we're actually very weak. We're not as courageous as we think. But the only way we could do this is we have to be compelled by a greater reason than bravery or courage. It's actually to love others to willing to protect them. Okay? So those are applications. Start by being faithful in small things. Okay? Let's go to the second application. second application is this. Show God's favor to others by encouraging others. Okay, I guess I'm so glad we were dividing this into two parts instead of three today because uh, we're halfway already. Point number two, show God's favor to others by encouraging others, okay? Now, I don't want, what we said about protecting others, that means, I don't want, this is what I don't want to hear you guys apply. You think, oh, we, we're in a living far and dangerous world. That anyone that come and visit our church, you're like ready to like, you know, like you're on your phone. And I'm thinking you're looking at the Bible, but you have an app that you pay $20 a month to look up what people search of their arrest record, okay? Now, let's relax to the max there, okay? We don't just only do this. The other part we're also called to is since God's favor, show God's favor by also encouraging others, okay? Look with me in verses 10 to 12. Let me read this again. Then she, that is Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a place that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your rages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wing has come to seek refuge. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 shows Ruth's response to Boaz's generosity. This is both the record of Ruth's physical and, uh, act and also what she says. Her physical act, what did she do? She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground. And her speech... Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I've looked this up. Some commentary says, oh, she's worshiping others, okay? Or she's worshiping a man, bowing down, all of that. But remember, is her theology going to be sound? No. What is she again? A Moabitess. Who is her closest example of faith in God? Very imperfect people, such as who? Naomi, who earlier says, hey, go back to your homeland and worship your own gods. Is that very biblical? No, okay? So... Forgiving this for the moment to move on, you see her main point is she's grateful to who? Boaz. Then verses 11 and 12, you see Boaz's answer to Ruth's question earlier in verses 12. Uh, correction, verses uh, 10. The question earlier is, she's asked, why would you take notice of me since I'm a foreigner, okay? By the way, in Hebrew, I think there's a lot of poetry going on here. I think uh, people like Ben Chung, who likes what? Pun. Who's a what? Not a hipster, but a punster, okay? Um, and for all of you guys that's been around, you guys have probably taken a lot of his punishment. Ha ha, okay? There's also a play on words here, a punishment in verses 10. If you look in verses 10, uh, he says what? Why have you take? she says, why, have you, why should you take notice me since I'm a foreigner? The word notice sounds a lot in Hebrew like the word uh, foreigner, okay? He's saying, why did you take notice of me, a foreigner? I think there's a play on words, okay? But I don't think she was saying this and she's just like laughing, ha, 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 get it, right? I don't think that's what's going on. I think what's going on is, what? He's just, she's just noticing the incredible irony. I'm a foreigner, 
and you're not going to be, what, so nice to me, okay? Verses 11 and 12 is Boaz answering the question, why is he showing kindness? By the way, when he says, when he explained the reason, notice this is not what he did. He did not put his hand here and say, ah, the reason why I show so kindness is because I'm so spiritually awesome, okay? Let me tell you about myself. Oh, I'm so tired of talking about myself. Now let me ask you, what do you think about me, right? That's not what he's doing here, okay? What instead he does is he speaks words that what? Encourages her. Does that make sense? So which extrapolating from this point is that when we show God's favor to others, we need to also be able to encourage others. Okay, let's look a little bit more closer at verses 11 and 12 with the words he shares to encourage her. And by the way, when you look at verses 11 and 12, the words that he speaks to her is actually shows a lot of respect she has for her. Now remember, we've been looking at Ruth 1 and 2. We've seen people are disrespectful towards her. Yes? In both chapters. Yes? This is now finally the story. We finally see that Ruth gets a break. That the first human that shows kindness and respect towards her, even her own mother-in-law got to the point where she started ignoring and even putting her down. But now you see, this is a foreigner, this is a stranger that's showing kindness towards Ruth. And he shows her respect. His first response, his first response that we see, his first response is in verses 11. In verses 11, the response he shows, really what he's, to summarize verse 11, his first response is to say, why he's shown her so much favor indicates what it is that he has heard about her. Now this is incredible. This Boaz character is incredible because why? Earlier he says, who is this woman? He's never met her, but he knows about who? Her. Okay? Uh, but it's not gossip because the word report does not indicate gossip. I think this is a guy who's not just only rich, but he's what? Basically like, almost like your local city council member. Because he's respecting this town center. Do you guys remember that? When he gathered the elders, they met right away. He's probably one of the city uh, village elders, village head, okay? And yet, he, it, it pays him to know people that's what? In his town. Again, the word report there, there's a sense of officialness. The sense that he, he knows. It's not gossip. He actually knows of her before he met her, okay? And look at what he says, what he knows about her. He says, All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband have been fully reported to me. And how you left your mother, or your father and mother from the land of your birth and came to people that you did not previously know. Boaz, uh, what we've seen earlier, Boaz's head servant did not say anything, not even mention her name. I don't think anyone here thinks of her importantly to even, when he asks who's this woman, basically who's her character, no one ever says her name. But if he could deduce here, hey, this is a foreigner, she's a Moabitess, ah, this is the one that I've heard an official report from others, not gossip, saying this is the person that came. And he found out about her. This is, by the way, this is amazing. The woman in the town when they saw Naomi didn't even acknowledge her, Ruth. That when the mother-in-law was talking, she didn't even introduce her. But somehow over time, this man is, cares about his town enough to have heard a report about her. He knows about her. Even though he's a wealthy man, he's a great man, and all of this, he cares about what? People that are lower than him. He cares for them. He cares for them and he says, I know about you. I know how you left your mother and father. By the way, this verse left is the opposite of cling, Right? She, he knows Ruth has left her mother and father, which is the same verb used in Genesis 2 about marriage in 2.24, or uh, about how a man shall leave, right? Using the same word, and cling. 
And by the way, roof earlier used that same verb, the narrator saying, of clinging to, uh, clinging to, um, uh, to her. Uh, Julie, could you go downstairs to make sure? Uh, so clinging to to the kids, okay? Uh, not sure what I'm saying, kids. Uh, clinging to her. Um, to her mother-in-law, okay? Notice he also acknowledged you left your father and mother, which very likely shows that Ruth's mother, uh, uh, mother and father was probably alive when she says, I'm going to be tying my stake with this mother-in-law who needs my help a lot more, okay? So this is incredible that he's encouraging her, okay, by saying, hey, I know what you've done, okay? And this is why I want to act in this way, and I'm doing this to, what, encourage you, okay? Look with me at verses 13. Rather than trumpeting his own generosity, Boaz now moves from encouraging words to also encouraging words through prayer. He prays to God in verses, uh, verses 13. Let me read verse 13. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing has come to seek your reverence. He goes to God and says, Hey, God, you know, I want you to bless who? This woman. Okay? So he's basically calling upon God to bless her, okay? And say, hey, I want you to be blessed with this, okay? And when looking at verses 13, I think we could see further things with blessing others. This blessing has three parts. How many parts? Three, three parts. First line was Boaz's prayer that God reward Boaz for action. Where it says, may the Lord reward your work. That is, he's acknowledging good deeds she has done for the mother-in-law and say, hey, may God remember this and may God bless you because of that, Okay? I don't think we're saved by works. We're not ever saved by works. We're always by grace. But I also think that once we become a Christian, that the good works you do for the Lord, God will never forget it. God will never forget. Other people might forget. Other people might not even acknowledge us. But you understand, that the reason why God saves us is He does want to bless us. This is not prosperity gospel. This is biblical truth. He does want to bless us. Now, some of those blessings is according to His sovereign dictate. might not be what you think is best for you. Some of those blessings might be spiritual rather than physical. And sometimes spiritual blessing means depriving of us of certain physical blessing, material blessing that we or our society says we need. But he prays the Lord to reward her. Second line specifies which God that he wants to reward Ruth. Look at it with me in verses uh, uh, 13 again. And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of who? Israel. You guys see that? He's talking to, again, is this a woman from Israel? No. And he's calling upon the true living God to bless this foreigner who's not Israel, from Israel. One sees the God of Israel being mentioned in blessed Ruth, a foreigner. Yet, Ruth has already chosen what? To leave her people, to follow God's people, and to say God's, God, Israel's God is going to be her God. Okay? Third line of blessing. Third lines of blessing acknowledge Ruth's faith. Because it says, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. I want to call, uh, pay attention a little bit in this part of uh, looking at the, under whose wing you see, come to seek refuge. You guys know the word refuge? You guys know the word refuge? By the way, you guys know the word where the word refuge, English word refuge first came from? It actually referred to the Christians that were persecuted in the continent during the Protestant uh, Reformation. Where Catholics were persecuting Christians and then they were Christians. They had to go other lands, okay? That's the origin of the English word refuge. But look at this word here. This word, I think, is rich when it says, under whose wing you come to seek refuge. This appears earlier in Psalms 118, verses 8 to 9, 
of basically the idea is synonymous with trusting God. Okay? God as refuge for his people is also under his wings. Is also taught elsewhere. His wings here, I think this image, you see here, he's saying, hey, he's encouraging to say, I know you have faith. I know you've trusted in God. And you go to God under his wings. And what a beautiful reference. He doesn't just say, oh, you're a believer. He gives a vivid illustration, analogy, words, pictures, to paint, to encourage her, okay? Look with me in terms of the illusions of wings. This refers to God as a picture almost like a mother bird Offering wings to protect what? Defenses, young ones. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. So if you're in Ruth, you make a left. Okay, you pass the book of Judges. You pass the book of Joshua. And voila, what do you know? You're in the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Deuteronomy 32, verses 11. Deuteronomy 32, verses 11. Again, why we're looking here is I want to show you the richness of this word, okay? Of referencing to God. Like an eagle that strips up its nest, that hovers her youngs, he, that is God, spreads his wing and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. Okay? This is the imagery of what? Of God caring for his people. Okay? Of God caring for his people. Of God caring for his people like a what? Like an eagle protecting its young. And for those that trust in God, the word of God says God will protect his people. But again, remember the means that he does that is through what? Sometimes through the means and agency of others. And he speaks all these words to encourage her, okay? So as application, as application, do you speak words to encourage others? Do you speak words to encourage others? We shouldn't stop at our first point. Remember, we have a duty to protect others. Sometimes protecting others and say, hey, that's wrong. You're holding to Roman doctrines, Roman Catholic doctrines, that's wrong. Or, hey, you know what you're listening to? I don't know, Joel Osteen and, I don't know, name me some bad ones again. Uh, you know, Benny Sin or whatever else you, you want to listen to with all that, right? But spiritually, we're called more than that. We're also called to encourage others, okay? Do you encourage others with your words? Do you encourage others with your words? Because, brothers and sisters, we're called to encourage others, okay? Oh, no, I printed out only three, okay? Uh, this is off the cuff, okay? Okay. Uh, we're called to encourage others. Uh, do you encourage others? Okay. By the way, every Sunday, something should happen at church. There's no such thing as an ordinary Sunday, unless it happens ordinarily. Okay? But what, one thing you should always do is go to church to encourage others. You say, when do I have time? Well, guess what? Do we have a time to greet, meet and greet others in the middle of service? Yes. What does Victor often do after his first song? What does he say? Yeah, greet others, okay? That means you get out of your chair and shake someone's hand, okay? How do you encourage others with words sometimes? The most encouraged, one thing you could always encourage others, you must say, I don't know that person, I don't know anything. You could always say what? I'm so glad to what? See you. See you. Okay, Phil's teaching us, right? He's filled with it right now, okay? Uh, he's rolling with it, okay? So you greet others and say, I'm so glad to see you, okay? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you say, oh, why should I say that? That person comes to church sometime, not all the time. Well, that's even more reason. They're probably fighting some battle you don't know of. And when you see him, you've got to be thankful to the Lord that that person's sitting in that pew, in that seat. Okay? So be thankful. So by the way, encouraging others, I hope it goes beyond just saying, I'm so glad to see you. Get to know that person. Ask that person a lot of what? Questions. Remember we talked about last week about greeting others? Well, greet them first. And when you ask, how are you? Mean it, okay? 
So when you say, how are you doing? When that person says, I'm so glad you asked me. I had this brother battle and everything else. Brother, pray for me. They're just like, oh, okay, you're a weirdo. Move out. No, that's a time to say, I need to know and ask questions, okay? Ask them questions. And by the way, when you ask questions, you sometimes see a lot of things. But sometimes you also see, keep an eye out, okay? Be like an archaeologist. You're digging through a lot of dirt, yes. But also keep an eye out to see where God is working. To see where God is working. And to see him or her, that person's perseverance in all of this, okay? So keep an eye out to be able to encourage others, okay? By the way, if you really struggle, go to God and pray, okay? Sometimes we face difficult people and we say the word of what? God bless their hearts, right? What that means is something else, okay? And sometimes we're moved to pray for people because they're difficult. Ah, God, I pray that person will knock it out or whatever. But don't just only pray in that way. Go to God and pray and say, Lord, help me step in this person's shoes. Again, we can't fit in perfectly, but help me just step in the shoe of some kind of analogous thing, analogous thing, whether small or big, and say, what will it be like? And just say, wow, help me, Lord God, to be able to do this. Okay? So how do you encourage others? You pray to God. Not just pray, Lord God, that person cut it out, let that person grow up and have no problems, but also pray, Lord God, help me see things from that person's perspective. And by the way, even when they are wrong, sometimes there is some grain of truth with certain things they share. But pray for that for the window so that you'll be able to go and say, okay, I want to speak. And by the way, the other thing is also another way to encourage others when you don't know how, is look at your own life. Has there been times someone spoke words that encouraged you? In your, don't, you must say, oh, no one spoke recently. But even in your past, when was there a time that someone said something to you that really moved you to do the right thing? That really moved you to still say, it's difficult, but I'm going to do the right thing. Or, or it's difficult, but I still have hope. Or, or it's difficult, but I'm still going to cling to Jesus, even when I felt like giving up. Think about those, that individual. Think about how that person talks. Okay? And by the way, if that person is still in the church today, pay attention, keep an eye out, and look at that person. Study that person. Right? Look at that person. Look at the manner, demeanor and what? Replicate it. Okay? Replicate it in your own ways. And finally, the way, what do you do uh, when you don't know how to encourage others? Like I said, the first step is what? To listen to them. Ask question number two. Number three, pray to God. Number four, pray to God for empathy, right? And pray, number five, pray through their perspective, uh, what it would look like. Number six, think about others, how they encourage you, okay? Number seven, uh, uh, of how to encourage others when it is difficult, also as well, is what? Is practice it, okay? You will not be perfect, but you'll be perfectly imperfect. You'll perfectly be wrong if you never apply to try to encourage others, okay? So go to somebody and say some words of encouragement. By the way, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a speech. But give a word, a short sentence, here and there. And by the way, it's also, in terms of encouragement, is a little over time. It speaks a lot more. A little over time thinking about that person praying for them, okay? So speak words of encouragement, okay? Speak words of encouragement. Sometimes it might be so difficult, you might say, I don't know what anything to say. The other thing, that, how to encourage others, is study who God is. Study who God is. Do you see the words of encouragement that Boaz gave to Ruth? He didn't just only talk about how good she was. And she's not perfect too, by the way. We're going to see this in Ruth chapter 3. The means that her mother-in-law gave advice to court seems very, very shady. 
Okay, it's not gonna be you're gonna get you should not get courting or dating or guy advice of getting guys and marriage from Ruth Gree. Okay, but at the same time, notice what he focused on. It's not just only on her loving kindness towards her mother-in-law, but it also looks towards God in verse thirteen. He acknowledges God as what? Remember we uh, look at Deuteronomy earlier, the idea of God has wings to protect others? Where did Boaz get that from? Did he make that up? Was he such a good poet that he just made his own song? No. Where he got this from was from Scripture, from Deuteronomy 32. And here, he quotes the truth, the attribute of God. Do you see that? So you need to be able to do that, Okay. Um, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I encourage you guys to go to Sermon Audio if you guys forget. There's five things that Christian has hope for change. Do you guys remember that? Five truths. I think it's good to know those things. Because even if the person is just totally in sin, what is something you could honestly say? You could have hope to change. What are those five things? Do you guys remember? Anybody remember? I encourage you to go to Sermon Audio. One of the things is, A, you are new what? Creation. Do you see this? You're not just appealing to that person, but you're appealing of what God has done for them. Say, hey, you're a new creation. You got this. It's going to be difficult. I'm not discounting that. I'm not playing that down. But I also believe that in your midst of your struggle, you are a new creation. God can't work through you. What's another thing to encourage someone that w- for change? They have a new what? Heart. Yes? A new heart that, even when they want to sin and everything else, but in their hearts of hearts, at the end of the day, even when they sin, they still think, you know what? God's way is still best. I want to do what is right. And they repent, okay? True believers will desire stronger, desire to do what is right. Now, that doesn't mean the temptation is very real. And by the way, sometimes it feels even more stronger with more obedience, right? The temptation is, is even nagging even there longer. But in the end, even with the sin, they desire to do what is right. Because God has given them a new heart, okay? What is another encouragement for people to change? What's another encouragement? Did God give someone to help us? Which member of the Trinity lives in us? The Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is working and guiding who? Us. Okay? That should encourage you. When you say, I don't know. Well, before looking to man first, yes, there's means of agency of men and women, but also go to God because the Spirit guides and teaches through His Word. Okay? So all of these things should encourage us, and there's more. But I want to encourage you to look at these sermons. Not just when we hear doctrines, this shouldn't just be, okay, those doctrines are to encourage us to be able to encourage others. By the way, the best way to encourage others is not to say, hey guys, uh, I know doctrine encourage. Here, let me give you a big book called John Calvin's Institute of Christian Religion. It's a systematic theology book. I've never read before, but I heard it's good. Pastor, Andrew, Pastor Jimmy recommended it, right? Or Wayne Gruden's systematic theology and say, Hey, Anthony says never read it, but Jimmy says you should read it. Here, it should encourage you. Goodbye now, right? But the best way to encourage others is what? Love the truth about God. Move your heart, your affections, your will, and you living it out, and then you share it through others, okay? In other words, you've got to have to be like a cow. You guys realize a cow often eats, and then what do they do? You spit it back out, right? I think of like when my daughters are young, I'll see my wife. Trying to feed the young ones, okay? This is when they can't eat. And we're trying to introduce them to food besides milk. My wife will what? Get a spoon and chew it up and put it in. And everything is gross, right? But sometimes that's what people are. Sometimes people struggle so much because they're little spiritual babies, right? When you talk to them about doctrines, they're like, Google God, right? And you're like, are you speaking in tongues or you're for real, man? Are you legit or what? So even with that, what do you do? 
you need to what live it out and just apply right through them okay ministry is what god's word through our personality never forget that it's god's word changing us as we even influence others so use those things be out there to encourage okay by the way if you say i don't know anyone that's a good thing to realize that now is the time today is the day to say my ministry of encouragement begins today begins by asking greeting people begins by praying to god help me to be able to encourage others okay and by the way if you're struggling going through trials may i say this too it's not mutually exclusive that you're struggling and also encouraging others it is not mutually exclusive sometimes in the times of my biggest struggles when i continue to minister i see in hindsight god's biggest blessing happened then again now i'm not talking about physical blessing but i see growth and maturity in other ways that god bless but can i say this they're not mutually exclusive satan wants us our flesh wants us to believe that but even when you are going through your own trials you'll be surprised how many people are going through trials they might not be your trials they might go through more easier trials they might even go through more tougher trials but even then there's a heart you should have of empathy not of comparison say oh little child i wish i had that problem by the way when we have things in order when we're back to normal and we had that small problem it still consumes us we still didn't master it right but rather we see just a heart of compassion move to say i'm gonna go and encourage that person too okay my brothers and sisters we got to be called to encourage others please look at me here look at me here who's supposed to do the work in ministry at the church if you're pointing a finger at me you're wrong Okay, I'm pointing a finger back at you. Not with one hand and then point, pretty point back. I'm pointing this way. Knife hands, you guys, right? Who's called to do ministry? Point your... Yeah, I like Noelle. She does this, right? Like she's like, she's like chopping herself up right here, right? She's laying the Word of God, cutting her up, okay? We, we're called to do ministry, right? Okay, we're called to do ministry. Listen, the church is not... The, the church is not a pastor going up there and doing a dog and pony show for 45 minutes. And then you pay him, you know five bucks or whatever you pay right that's not the church okay the church is what you are the church say i am the church i am called to do ministry okay you are called to serve god you might say okay i don't know what to do jimmy's not going to give me the pulpit anytime soon that's true okay because i want to be here to marry and to bear you okay and then to be buried by one of you okay but at the same time while this pulpit is occupied you might say your ministry is called to go and encourage and to speak truth of others and by the way even if god's calling you to be a minister i have seen too many frustrations of too many young yo-yos young bucks come over here i want to be a pastor and sitting there oh man when is god calling me when they're not even talking to anybody right if you're called how much more be faithful with little be faithful with much go and minister talk to somebody right talk to somebody right now even after church shake their hand hold them captive by shaking the hand both hands if you need to say how are you doing what are you doing i'm not letting you go right i'm i'm, I'm holding your arm even your god i'm gonna hold on to because i want to know how you're doing i want to be able to bless you and i want to encourage you in the name of jesus christ right this is what we're called to do we're called to show god's favor let us close in a word of prayer